Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Shamat Kosandu from Toronto in Canada. I'll be honest, we're both absolutely knackered. It has been quite the weekend uh, in the sport of mixed martial arts. UFC 261 was phenomenal. People are saying it's right up there with the very best UFC events of all time. Recency bias obviously kicks in, but it really was that incredible. The main card on Saturday night was outstanding. All killer, no filler, finishes in every fight. We will take you through each and every one of those five fights on the show. Sandu, I'm knackered. I feel sleep deprived. Uh, I haven't quite bounced back yet from, from Saturday night. I, my, my, my tactical nap plan didn't really go according to plan. So I'm, I'm feeling it right now. And you're a bit under the weather as well. How are you bearing up? Yeah, uh, you could say that. Just <clears throat> got a bit of a, a, I think a bit of a body temperature, a bit of a, a body cold. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm just a little bit run down. It's been, it was a, it was a busy week last week and obviously 261 just, there was so much going on. There were so many moments. And I mean, if you're working in the business, you had no, I guess, uh, lack of content to produce whether you are a writer, a talking head, a social media manager, and yeah, and there's still so much fallout from it on this Monday. But yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. What can I say, Simon? Uh, you know, we are slaves to this business. We are slaves to this sport, but we love it. Oh, it was it was fantastic. I mean, before we even launch into the fights, this was a landmark event. It was the first event with a full house of fans in attendance, and I know. There are worries and concerns when it comes to this sort of thing. You know, just as when the UFC looked to hold events uh, during the pandemic, when things were, were were really, really kind of scary, we didn't really know how things were going to go. And after, a, you know, a bit of a stuttering start, they made a real success of it. Uh, starting off with events in Jacksonville. And because of the, the, uh, the cooperation they got from the city of Jacksonville, Dana White promised that when it was time to do events in front of crowds, he would bring the UFC back. And he was good to that promise. Saturday night, 15,000 fans. Not any kind of reduced capacity, full capacity at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena. And uh, fingers crossed, there's no uh, after effects of this. People uh, coming away from the event with uh, with any, any issues. Uh, we have people with masks, people without masks. But what we did have for the first time in ages was a UFC event with a packed house. And my goodness me, it sounded incredible. I know we've kind of got used to it, Sandu, watching these events in the Apex in particular with, with no fans and just being able to hear the corners and all the rest of it. And we've spoken on this show about how MMA actually translated quite well to having no fans and the product still being excellent and still being interesting to watch. But Saturday night really told us that live sport with fans in attendance you cannot beat the atmosphere like we had on saturday night it was top to tail unbelievable yeah and i think the biggest takeaway is when the ufc puts on a really big event and the card is stacked and you have the ebbs and flows of emotions and there's so much going on and the fighters produce what they produced this past weekend and you have that rabid fan base, especially right now in the current climate where they haven't been to a UFC event or you know, many sporting events in quite some time. And they're absolutely salivating at the opportunity to cheer and boo and get together with their friends and have some drinks and, 
and enjoy sport at the highest level, I think everything came together perfectly to create a real special and electric atmosphere. And, you know, we know that the next couple of pay-per-views are sold out. We're going to have fans in attendance. The fight night cards for the, for the foreseeable future seem to be you know, going to be held in, in Las Vegas in the Apex. So we're almost going to get, you know, <laughs> the best of both worlds because I know a lot of us, you know, have really enjoyed the lack of fans because you're able to hear all the, the intricate moments, you know, as these fights play out and, and even cornermen shouting in the commentary team. But if you ask me, Simon, to, to choose one or the other, have this sport, have the UFC with the biggest events on, with or without fans, I'm taking fans all day long. Yes, sometimes they can be annoying with the, the wooing and the unnecessary booing, but overall, the atmosphere that they create when those special moments happen, you just can't beat it. Yeah, and um, special moments, we had a fair few of them on Saturday night. We had some special ones, we had some shocking ones, we had some unfortunate ones, and uh, we'll run through those over the course of the show, but we have to start, Sandy, with the main event. Kamara Usman, Jorge Masvidal, the rematch. They fought first time at UFC 251 last year. Masvidal stepping in on six days' notice, taking Usman the distance uh, in a fight that Usman won by a landslide on the scorecards. Masvidal said, give me a full training camp, things will be different. They gave him a full training camp, things were different, but it did not go the way that Gamebred wanted Kamara Usman just seems to get better and better. And uh, after years of training with Henry Hooft, he ends up training with uh, Trevor Whitman ahead of this one for uh, Elevation Fight Team. Just another wrinkle to that striking arsenal that he's, be he's, he's beginning to build up to add to that wrestling base. And a, a straight right hand from the heavens absolutely starches Masvidal. Uh, absolutely brilliant, brilliant performance from Kamara Usman. And uh, he called himself the best pound-for-pound -pound fighter in the world. I think we're at the point where we need to start debating that because I think he might just be. You take a look at the man's resume. You take a look at the man's form. You look at the performances he's putting up. And uh, he's building a very, very strong case right now. Kamara Usman deserves a hell of a lot more respect than he gets. But after that on Saturday night, hopefully he will start to get his just desserts because that was an outstanding performance. The best performance of his career. He's getting better and better all the time. You've got to give credit to Henry Hooft and Trevor Whitman, who have really helped him basically become a full mixed martial artist. You know, and over the last couple of years, we've seen his his striking ability and his skills with his stand up just level up all the time. And that moment right there, Simon, the knockout of Jorge Masvidal, where you just see the sweat and the water just sprinkle into the air that moment right there is going to be a highlight that the ufc are going to play over and over and over to promote kamara usman's fights from here on out because it was so spectacular some of the imagery outside of the actual video replay some of the photography that came out of that moment was just absolutely spectacular and yeah you know you can definitely make a case right now with khabib out of the, you know out of the way and retired you can make a case for Kamara Usman to be number one pound for pound in the world. I think you can have a case for John Jones. I think you can have a case for Amanda Nunes. And based on this past weekend's performance, I think Valentina Shevchenko could even be in the mix. The UFC have got some incredible talent, but it's always great as a fan and as a viewer to see that talent just 
get better and better and better. And I think right now, you know, you've got George St. Pierre and if you've got Matt Hughes and you've got Kamar Usman. Those are the three greatest welterweights of all time with GSP, GSP being number one. But I'll tell you what, Simon, if Kamar Usman can keep this form going and if he can continue to finish opponents, especially with some of the talent that the current year is at 170 pounds, my word, he could be number one in a couple of years. We could be talking about Kamar Usman as being the greatest welterweight of all time in a couple of years and you know he's in he's in touching distance right now i think yeah and you know you mentioning matt hughes gsp and obviously now kamara usman it's very hard to compare fighters in a sport like mixed martial arts because the game is constantly evolving training methods are constantly evolving uh the sports science the technology involved in a fighter's preparation is constantly evolving so if you compare kamara usman for example to matt hughes there's an almighty gap in terms of what Matt Hughes was doing in the cage compared to what Kamara Usman is doing now. Um, that's not to say that Matt Hughes with 2021 coaching wouldn't have been as good. That's where the debate comes in, isn't it? It's very difficult because it's not an exact science, but you've got to look at the body of work and Kamara Usman is doing an outstanding, outstanding job. And uh, the thing that he's beginning to add to his game now is finishes. He's got a lot of decisions on his record as he made his way up. He had a few finishes here and there. But he was largely a fighter that ground out decision wins. His last four fights, Colby Covington finished him in the fifth round at UFC 245. Jorge Masvidal, obviously we know that one went the distance. Gilbert Burns at 258, finished him with punches. Jorge Masvidal this past weekend, knockout, second round. Absolutely unbelievable. So he's on top of the world right now. The big question, or it was a question for all of about half an hour, was who's he going to face next? Because Leon Edwards was told not all that long ago that if he wins his fight with Nate Diaz, he's getting a title shot. We now know Colby Covington is going to get the next shot at uh, at Kamara Usman. And uh, I think this is the UFC really looking to build on that momentum. We know that that fight has got a storyline to it. There's all the footage in the world that you need to to push that rematch. It was an outstanding fight first time round. I was in Vegas for that one. Incredible matchup. One of the best fights of the year uh, in 2019, in a year that had so many great matchups. That one was outstanding. And uh, Colby's going to get the rematch. He's promised to knock him out inside three rounds, Sandu. It's not like Colby to have a bit of bravado, is it? But uh, I'm finding it I'm finding it hard to see who can beat Kamara Usman. Unless you put someone in there with absolute lights out, knockout power, who could maybe catch him. I don't know. I mean, Colby has tried to outrun him before, outpace him before, out cardio him. And he got he got beat up and got and got stopped. Um, that's his best route to victory. So does Colby is Colby the man best placed, do you think, to give him a run for his money? Is he the, the man most likely to you know potentially dethrone? Kamara Usman, or do you not think there is anybody? Or if there is, who? I'll tell you what, Simon. That first fight between Kamara Usman and Colby Covington was spectacular. It was so competitive. But in that time, we've seen Colby compete once only, and that was against Tyron Woodley, and he did a great job. But seeing Kamara Usman perform multiple times since then, and just these last couple of performances, the way he's leveled up his game, I think he'd beat Colby right now, even, you know, better and in, in more emphatic fashion than he did the first time around because 
I just haven't seen enough of Cole because he's basically just got that one win under his belt and kind of just held on to that position to try and get that title fight. And I tell you something now, Simon. If I'm Colby Covington, I'm trying to get this fight with Kamaru Usman, especially with the momentum of Dana White saying that, you know, hey, Colby's next, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact that, you know, he was there doing tons of media, he was in attendance at 261. Get this done as soon as possible because if you don't, May 15th is just around the corner. And if Nate Diaz beats Leon Edwards, and, I, and look, I'm not picking Nate Diaz to win that fight. I, I think that's Leon's fight to lose, right? However, if Nate Diaz can win that fight, then you've got a big money fight on the table. And if I'm Kamaru Usman, it's all about paydays right now. You know, that's why, you know, they gave Huey Mazadal a rematch. It was just like, listen, he's built himself. He promoted himself really, really well. The, a, a fight with a Diaz brother doesn't grow on trees because it's it's a guaranteed big payday, right? And if Nate Diaz can beat Leon Edwards, you've actually got an opportunity to promote Nate, Nate Diaz, who would skip the line and go right to the front and say, hey, he just beat Leon Edwards, who's got this incredible win streak, high contender in the welterweight division. Oh, and he's the biggest draw the division has right now. And it's a fresh matchup. So I think if Leon Edwards wins, it could go either way. Right, I, st I think if Leon Edwards wins, I, th I still think Kamaru and the UFC maybe go lean more towards Colby because Colby just is able to, you know, run his mouth and promote the fight a little bit more than than Leon Edwards. Out of the three, obviously Leon's the, the the more quieter one when it comes to interviews, his social media presence, and what have you. But again, if Leon Edwards beats Nate Diaz, then all of a sudden the whole world knows who Leon, Leon Edwards is. All the casual fans like, hey, this Leon Edwards guy from the UK, he's pretty good. I wouldn't mind seeing him fight Usman. So I think there's a lot of variables in the air, but these, these next couple of weeks are going to be absolutely crucial for Colby Covington. Try and get this signed, sealed, and done before May 15th. Because if he doesn't get it done by that, by that date, then let's see how things unfold between Nate Diaz and Leon Edwards. This is it. And this is where the UFC has a certain amount of uh, bargaining leverage, doesn't it? Because... If Colby wants the fight locked in, he's going to have to do a deal pretty quick. I mean, he's he uh, he did an interview with Submission Radio, and uh, that's where he predicted the third uh, a knockout inside three rounds. He said he wants to fight in August, which, looking at the timeline, I think that kind of makes sense. I think that's a a good sort of sweet spot. It gives Usman time to rest, recuperate, and then get himself back into another training camp. But uh, yeah, that deal needs to be done quick if you're Colby Covington for sure. So uh, that looks like that's the fight right now. Before we move on to the co-main event, actually, no. Yeah, let, let's, let's do it. I'm getting all confused. You mentioned a fight with a Diaz brother doesn't grow on a, you know, they don't grow on trees. Well, another tree's just popped up because Nick Diaz, it appears, is back. We were going to do this a bit later on, but seeing as you mentioned uh, Diaz brother fights, let's just do it now. Nick Diaz is coming back, Sandu. This is big news. We've been waiting for years to see him back in the cage who's he gonna fight though what do you reckon well look nick diaz an absolute legend of the sport a big draw he's almost got a, a cult-like following and a lot of fans might be you know a nate diaz fan right now especially with that rivalry with conor mcgregor that may have missed out on what nick diaz older brother did back in the day but man look at his social media simon he is at absolutely ripped he is in incredible shape we obviously you know 
couple of years ago were seeing him on his IG stories just in, in Vegas clubs and he just seemed like he was enjoying you know enjoying his life enjoying the fruits of his labor and pe perhaps you know getting out of a system what he perhaps missed out on in 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 his 20s and, and earlier in in life now that he had money but he's back Dana White said he's going to be fighting again Dana White's open to giving giving him a fight as well it sounds as though things behind the scenes on fight night when they had a meeting went pretty well. And I think he's got some options. I think you go to someone, I don't want to see him fight Hamza Shemaev. I don't know where the hell that came from. And I've sort of seen Hamza chirp up on social media today talking about trying to fight Nick Diaz. No, that, that wouldn't sit well with me whatsoever. I think with Nick Diaz, a comeback fight after all these years away, you give him someone from his era, someone like a Robbie Lawler. You can do Carlos Condit. You can do Donald Cowboy Cerrone if he beats Diego Sanchez. That's the kind of ilk of fighter that I would want to match up with Nick Diaz next. Um, but hey, listen, it, it, it's nice to get excited for a Nick Diaz fight. And I think we'll all be interested to see which way the UFC goes in terms of matchmaking. And that's going to be a, a pay-per-view headliner at best, at worst. It'll be a similar situation to the Nate Diaz Leon Edwards fight, where it will be a five round co main event. Yeah, I, th I like the idea of him and Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler could do with a fight, um, and uh, he's not—he's not in the championship mix right now. At one hundred and seventy pounds, they fought before. Why not? Let's do it again. Let's do it again. The Carlos Condit fight works as well. Carlos Condit, again, a man in the veteran stage of his career, beat Nick Diaz. Um, outmaneuvered him really to get the decision, and uh, Diaz versus Condit, I think, would be an absolute banger as well. But seeing him back is is great. Can you imagine a fight card with Nate Diaz in the main event, Nick Diaz in the co-main event, both five round fights potentially? You know, we've we've got a precedent now: five round co-main event with that belt. We've seen it. Let's let's uh, maybe maybe see it again. Who knows? Or maybe it's a bit harsh to put a man who's not fought in God knows how long straight into a five round fight in the UFC and he's come back. That might be a little bit, a little bit of an ask, but uh, yeah, exciting times to see Nick Diaz back uh, up and running in the UFC. And uh, as for, as for Nate, yeah, one win away. If he's, you know, he gets a big win against Leon Edwards. It's uh, you know, watch out. He's going to be, he's going to be gunning for that, that UFC world to weight title. But speaking of titles, let's get back on. Let's get back onto the script. Women's strawweight title was on the line in the co-main event. Zhang Weili versus Rose Namajunas, and I think when we spoke about the three title fights last week, Sandu, and we sort of mulled over which of the three fights had the biggest potential for a title change, this was the fight that um, I think you said was the one that was you know had had the best chance. I think uh, Usman, I think we, you know, we were pretty nailed on that, that he would beat Masvidal. Valentina Shevchenko has been dominant at 125 pounds, more of her in a little bit. But Rose Namajunas produced a moment of magic. Uh, it's, uh, the only way I can describe it, a moment of magic to knock out Zhang Weili and uh, recapture the strawweight title. That was historic. I didn't realize at the time just how historic it was that it's the first time a, a women's UFC champion or former UFC champion has reclaimed the title. I didn't realize that that hadn't been done before. So uh, for Rose to become a two-time champion 
at 115 pounds. That's historic. She's back on top, and uh, just everything about that fight was 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 just great to watch. Everything from Rose before the uh, before the fight, when she was being announced by Bruce Buffer, just shouting out, "I'm the best! I'm the best!" Just sort of really amping herself up. Then going out there and doing what she did—that incredible head kick KO—and then the pep talk, if you can call it a pep talk, it's more like just shouting in her face from Pat Barry afterwards saying, you are the best, you are the best. And then she turns around and goes, yeah, I'm the best. And then she goes and gets the best. It was, the whole thing was just absolutely brilliant to watch. And um, I know um, some of the some of the pre-fight stuff that she said was, uh, was reported in such a way to sort of paint her in a, a negative light. I'm not sure that that's really the Rose Nama Yunus we know. Um, and uh, the Rose Nama Yunus we know was very much the one that we saw speaking after the fight on Saturday night. Um, you know, I think she's one of the one of the nicest people I've met in the sport, and uh, you know, to see her pick up the belt again was was a really special moment, and to do it in front of a huge crowd like that was absolutely awesome. A huge, huge win for Rose Nami Yunus. That was special. It was, and I think the reason it's so special is Young Wei Li had a twenty-one fight win streak coming into Saturday night, Simon. That is insane. She lost in her. MMA debut back in 2013 and hadn't lost since. Just insane. And we've seen her obviously beat Jessica and Draj, the greatest women's fight of all time against Joanna Yeo and Jacek. And it's why we were kind of saying, hey, listen, this is the one to keep an eye on. This is the one that could go either way because it's going to be very, very competitive. Great matchmaking. And in the the, the, the manner and the fashion that Rose Nami Yunus knocked, knocked her out, head kick, and I know Young was kind of protesting the stoppage, but there was just no doubt about it. I mean, the, the head kick, you know, her, her, her head rolls back and Rose Namines follows up with some ground and pound. Absolutely the right call, the right decision. Called it a moment of magic. It was emotional in the cage. You had Joe Rogan crying in the post-fight interview. It was just absolute mayhem. It was a, there's a great shot. Obviously, we've got some new me material now with DC, Rogan, and Anik. Uh, those three lads, by the way, were on top form throughout the entire night. The, the best awesome. trio. The best trio uh, when it comes to commentary and MMA, in my opinion. And yeah, Rose Nam and Yunus, Simon, back on top of the world as the queen of the strawweight division. And I think moving forward, you can go a couple of different ways. I think what the UFC is going to do and what I would personally like to see is running it back with Young Whaley. I think you do the rematch. Just given how big Yang Weili is in China, she brings a lot to the table. The UFC made a point during the broadcast to actually highlight, hey, listen, we may we may not know what happens inside the borders of, of China, but here are some of the social media stats that Yang Weili has produced in that country, just given you know how big of a um, run she's had in a very short time in the UFC. So I think that's the fight. You can obviously go back to the Yano, you know, Joanna Janjacek fight as well. She's kind of, I guess, kept herself out of the limelight, but she's obviously very, very busy um, outside of the fight game. You've got Mackenzie Dern, who I think would be a little bit too soon. Me personally, I think you run it back with Rose Nami Yunus and Zhang Bailey, and then perhaps as a co-main event, maybe a Mackenzie Dern versus a Joanna Janjacek to to produce a number one contender. But that's all down the road in the future right now. Incredible moment. Thug Rose 
is back on top of the world and yeah you just you just love to see it you know she's a very emotional person she's talked about some of the the issues she's had um you know emotionally mentally her some of her insecurities she's spoken about that which is a very brave thing to do she wants to use this opportunity and it feels like when she was champion the first time around there was a lot to do with the business and the limelight that comes with being a champion that she wasn't ready for prepared for and even when she lost it she talked about how it was like a, a nice weight off her shoulders and she doesn't have to worry about carrying the weight of the world as being a champion anymore this time around though it seems like she's ready for it she's prepared oh and by the way she's a much better fighter than she was the first time around and and listen what a, what a great one too by trevor whitman kamara usman main event rose Namajunas co-main event i mean we're talking about you know whitman perhaps being the coach of the year and it's only it's only april simon yeah yeah i mean word for trevor whitman i mean he's 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 done a remarkable job and of course he's got justin gaethje in that team as well who he's only ever one or two wins away from potentially holding a championship belt at 155 pounds you know um and uh we're yet to see what's going to happen with him he don't he hasn't got a fight book right now so uh looking forward to seeing what happens with him but yeah incredible incredible night for Trevor Whitman and uh, Elevation Fight Team. But the strawweight division is kind of interesting. Normally, when someone gets knocked out in the first round, it's a hard sell to say, let's run it back. Because it wasn't a fluke. It was just it was just a brilliant piece of martial arts technique. It was emphatic. It was, a, it was an absolutely emphatic win. Normally, you'd say, well, you know, we'll have a rematch, go away, win a couple, and then, uh, you know, I'll see you a bit further down the line. But the other person who you would say is probably the next most legitimate contender is coming off a loss. Yuani and Jacek lost to Zhang Weili in March last year. So she needs to get back on the horse and get a win. It would be highly unusual, but not unprecedented for her to get a title shot coming off a loss. Um, you know, Jose Aldo managed it. So... You know, we just saw Mazadal, Simon. This in the main event, get a, yeah, a rematch. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So, you know, these, you know, the uh, normal laws do not always apply on planet UFC. You know, it's uh, it's it's open to interpretation, and we can get all sorts of great fights, regardless of form. But uh, Mackenzie Dern, I think, is probably a one win away. I think if she can get another big win, she's right up there. So yeah, I think probably the the rematch with with Zhang Weili maybe does make the most sense unless Rose decides to sit for a while um, and let things play out beneath her and maybe a rematch between Zhang and Joanna. My God, what a fight that would be rematch of that rematch of that in the summer. Winner faces Rose in the autumn. I'd, I'd watch that. I'd, I think that would be perfect. Um, but it really, it really does depend on, on what the UFC wants to do and what Rose wants to do in terms of how frequently she wants to be fighting. So, um, if she wants to fight relatively soon, do the rematch. If she doesn't, let's do Zhang versus Joanna too. The rematch of the greatest women's fight of all time. Winner gets a shot at Thug Rose. Um, and that would be a rematch as well with both of them looking to avenge a defeat. So, so, uh, I think both of them got caught with a head kick as well. So, you know, it's, um, there's lots, there's lots to, lots to consider in that women's strawweight division, but that wasn't the only women's division on deck on Saturday night. Valentina Shevchenko defended her flyweight title as most of the planet expected she would do. and uh, But she didn't do it in the way that a lot of people thought she would. I think a lot of people thought that it would be her striking that really got the job done against Jessica Anjaj. 
But actually what she did, she flipped the script a little bit, turned to her, her wrestling and her grappling, got the fight to the mat, completely dominated Andrade on the mat, and then finished the job with some with some nasty, nasty elbows from the crucifix position. Second round, TKO finish. And uh, it's, it's pretty hard to see what on earth we do with Valentina Shevchenko next because she said it herself in the post-fight interview. She says, for anybody out there, any of my rivals looking to find a weakness in my game, don't waste the time. There isn't one. Now, coming from some people, you think that's pretty arrogant. That's not arrogant. That's just her speaking facts. She's that damn good. You know, we're on seven fight win streak now in the UFC. The only person to ever beat her in the UFC is Amanda Nunes. One of them was a split decision. The other one was pretty controversial or, or pretty close as well. So um, the big question now is, I was talking about Zhang Weili as a potential opponent for her, um, but Zhang Weili's just got beat. What do we do with Valentina Shevchenko next? Because the way she was talking, I think she's keen on facing Amanda Nunes, but she's not in a rush to do it now. And Nunes is, seems quite happy doing what she's doing. So what's next at £125 for Valentina Shevchenko? Because she's running out of people to fight, Sandu. The name is Shevchenko, Valentina Shevchenko, license to dominate. And that's exactly what she's done, Simon. She has dominated this flyweight division. Look, I think she... Why not just stick around in the weight class that you're so dominant in and just carry on picking off the, the contenders? You've got Lauren Murphy. You've got Joanne Calderwood. These are all fresh matchups for her. And, you know, we know that she's not going to ever be, like, the headliner of a UFC pay-per-view. But she's a solid co-main or, you know, as a part of a trio where you're, you're going to see something dominant. You're going to see her defend her title. She's not going to be a Masvidal or a Connor or a John Jones or, or maybe even now Usman moving forward where you can be the, the legitimate headliner, the marquee as a champion. But she brings so much talent and dominance to the table. I think at some point you go back to the well and, and make the Amanda Nunes fight one more time. And I think naturally that's what fans are going to be clamoring for. It's almost a little bit in a way how we want to see Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky run it back one more time. You know what I mean? Even though Amanda Nunes holds two wins over Shevchenko, there's, there's one that was obviously a little bit, well, a lot of people perhaps scored it for Shevchenko and not, not too sure about that decision, yada, yada, yada. Now we can have a third fight to get a definitive answer and, you know, Amanda Nunes is somebody else that needs opponent. She's got her hands full pretty soon with Juliana Pena. So maybe if she beats Pena, maybe later on this year, they make Shevchenko Nunes part three. But if I'm Shevchenko, I think for the foreseeable future, just keep collecting those paydays, you know, be a co-main event to a bigger star as a champion and collect those pay-per-view points as champion by beating contenders in your division that you're going to probably demolish within the first couple of rounds. Why not? That's what I would do if I'm her. Yeah. Yeah. Become the Demetrius Johnson of the division, become the John Jones of the division, you know, the GSP rack up those title defenses and see if you can start approaching, you know, some of the record setting territory, you know, uh, just looking down the rankings, Laura Murphy is, is, is the highest ranked contender who she hasn't already beat. So I would imagine right now, Laura Murphy is, uh, is getting on the phone and saying, Come on, I'm next. 
and I think that's that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. It might not be the biggest ticket title fight you've ever seen, but she is the most deserving contender of the list uh, who hasn't actually uh, fought and lost against uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Joanne Calderwood is still there or thereabouts, floating around. She just needs to, she just needs to keep keep going and maybe pick up one more win, and then she's in there. And uh, but yeah, it's hard to see anybody anybody dethroning Valentina Shevchenko right now. And uh, it's a case of whether whether she's quite happy just dominating at 100, 125 or whether she fancies moving back up to one hundred and thirty five and working working her way through the pack there. Um, and you know, see, you know, see if you can see if you can take the title, and then see if you can hang on to it at bantamweight. But uh, it's good because you look at the UFC, Sandu, and we've got this nice mix now. We've got we've got new champions who are just starting their title reign. We've got existing champions who are beginning to really put a mark on their division, and then we've got a couple of really long-standing champions like Shevchenko and Nunes who are just utterly dominant. So you've got a little bit of something for everybody. Uh, when it comes to the uh, the champions in the UFC. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see just where Shevchenko decides to take her career because the problem you've got now is, I mentioned Demetrius Johnson. There came a point where everyone was really impressed watching Demetrius Johnson fight. And then a little bit of apathy started to creep in. It's like, well, you know, he's so much better than everybody else. Why should I really be that bothered by his fights anymore? I don't want Valentina Shevchenko to end up in that position. Um, just as Demetrius wasn't, you know, he, he was too good to deserve that treatment. Shevchenko's too good to deserve that treatment. But you can only beat the people they put in front of you. So interesting to see where she goes from here and who she takes on. They were the three title fights. So we saw three finishes. Nothing got past the second round. Two uh, and stills. One and new. And uh, that in and of itself would have been headline fodder for everything you needed for UFC 261. However, the fight that preceded those three title fights, the only way I can describe it, it was the worst injury I've seen live in an MMA fight. Um, I've seen arms get broken. I've seen shoulders get popped. And when Anderson Silva fought Chris Weidman and uh, broke his leg, in horrific fashion, I thought I wouldn't see anything worse than that. Unfortunately, that exact thing happened to Weidman himself against Uriah Hall, and it happened with pretty much the first kick thrown in the fight. 17 seconds. And I've seen broken legs in football, Sando. You've seen broken legs in football. That was horrible. Like, everything about it, the, the noise, the, like, the sound was so loud. The way his leg broke, like, the like just the visual of it. And then what made it even worse was when he then put weight down on it and then it just completely went underneath him. It's making me feel a bit weird even talking about it now. It was, it was absolutely horrible. Uh, Wyman got rushed to hospital. He's already had successful surgery on it. He's had the bone pinned and um, fingers crossed that he makes a full recovery and that he's able to get back in the cage and finish his career as an active fighter rather than one that has been ruled out uh, through injury. But my goodness me, Sandu, I mean, at that point in the night, you're thinking, Oh no, what, you know, is, is this, is this the thing that this night's going to be remembered for? Is this going to be it? 
thankfully we had three incredible title fights that followed it but my oh dearie me i i'm pretty sure that the story i wrote on that did as well if not better than my story on the title fights because the internet is a weird place right and people 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 want to want to see stories about injuries but my goodness prayers up for chris webb and that's all i can say i just hope he's back soon oh man tough it was um saturday night for me working through that shift was really difficult after that moment i'm not gonna lie i was in attendance in las vegas at ufc 168 when anson silver's leg broke and that was horrible and you could have left the that was the end of the show you leave the show and you're on a downer because of what happened to anderson but you know you can then go off into the night here simon this is this is preceding three title fights i was struggling so just to kind of peel back the curtain a little bit recently at bt we've made a decision that for the real real big shows there's two of us working um the pay-per-views on, on the social media side so one of us handles Twitter and one of us handles Instagram, Facebook and, and all the rest of it. I'm so glad I had a colleague with me when that moment happened because I'm like, oh my God, what do we do? Immediately, we made a decision not to show it. We didn't clip it for social media or anything like that. We ended up going with a graphic of just um, an image from Getty just to kind of send out well wishes to Chris Weidman. Yeah. But in that moment, I was like, oh my God, I'm seeing it on TV. I'm seeing the replays, and I'm, I, I, I don't agree with Dana White tweeting uh, the replay and then focusing it on Uriah Hall being the first fighter in UFC history to have won without landing a strike. And I don't know if that was Dana White. I don't know if that was his social media manager that thought that that might be a good thing to post. And I don't know if he got the sign off on Dana. I don't know how that all works when it comes to Dana White social media. Sometimes you can tell when it's authentically Dana. Right, yeah. and sometimes you can tell when it's kind of programmed and scheduled in by a social media manager. If you're smart about social media and you follow MMA on social media, you can kind of tell the difference there. But then, to be honest with you, Simon, I was starting to get angry because then I started to see other outlets. And again, we made our decision at BT Sport, which ultimately was the right decision because we all kind of got together on Sunday and Monday and said, you know what, that was the right thing to do. I, I don't know, I don't know, Simon. I, I kind of when I saw other outlets jumping on it straight away trying to post highlights like that for me is not a moment to try and win on social media that is not a moment for me that you want to try and juice the engagement numbers there's plenty of other ways to win on social media on a ufc fight night especially with three title fights ahead of you there's no, there's no lack of content right and so and then i tell you what simon and i don't mean to turn, it, turn this into a rant i saw some people that i actually respect or I, at least i thought i did absolutely relishing the moment as a way of saying look what happened karma's uh you know what look you know what happened to anson silver has now happened to him yada 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 and i couldn't believe it and so i saw that on my timeline and i'm like well i've just lost complete respect for you i'm not going to name any names um but yeah you know chris weidman has gone through successful surgery he's put a few um clips out on social media just to kind of address everybody i thought uriah hall was absolute class in the way he handled himself. That was a difficult moment. Obviously not what he wanted either. And um, yeah, for me, Simon, it was just even by the, I was, by the end of the shift, I was glad the shift was over. 
because for me, and if you work on in, uh, in social media, especially in my capacity, the brand or the outlet that you're representing is supposed to be in the fan's voice, right? If you're good at what you're, you know, if you're good at your job, that's what you're supposed to do. So ultimately, it's all about getting excited and hyped up. And so for me to mentally switch from that moment to be like, right, I now have to pay attention, jump on moments and, you know, be more positive and celebrate what was to come in these next three title fights was an, an extremely difficult and tough thing for me to do personally. And I don't want to make this about me. I really don't. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it was a tough one for me uh, personally to kind of get through. That's twice now, you know, once live in the arena, you know, now another time is so sad and unfortunate. You just do not want to see God knows what this means for the, for his future in terms of his fighting career. You know, we won't see him for a year, 18 months, maybe two years. He's 36 now. Um, and even if he does come back, you know, what kind of state is he going to be in mentally to try and throw a kick and, 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 and all that kind of stuff. We saw what happened to Anderson Silva, you know, in his fight with Nick Diaz, he was very tentative, you know, with it, with his stance and not wanting to throw the kick. And of course he gets, he get, gets busted for steroids because he's trying to recover and get back in the game as soon as possible. So yeah, I mean, I, uh, it's been a lot easier for me to break down the three title fights with you now, Simon, and talk about them and celebrate them on this Monday compared to trying to get through that shift because, yeah, it was just a horrible, horrible moment. And um, I just feel for Chris Weidman and his family right now. Yeah, definitely. On on the topic of, of uh, editorialising stuff like this, and uh, it's interesting because I was working at BT Sport when the first leg break, the Anderson Silva leg break happened. And I was doing social media for BT Sport back then. Uh, but it, oh, well, I didn't have a team. It was just me. And um, I didn't I didn't clip it either. I didn't clip it either. You did exactly the same thing that I did. And I'm of exactly that view. I don't think making stock of, of something like that. There are outlets that are happy to do that. And they they will just you know their their view is we cover this warts and all this is this is this is what people are seeing live therefore we're giving you this that's one way of looking at it there are other outlets that are in it literally just to grab clicks and grab attention and uh, grab notoriety you know hey look at this crazy shit look at this crazy injury blah 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 I'm not in for that at all. I'm not in for that at all. And um, I did the story. I wrote the story about it because obviously it is a it is a newsworthy story. It is a newsworthy story. I didn't I didn't put footage of the injury in it. I didn't put an image of the leg break in it. Um, we had an image of of Weidman lying on the floor, but it wasn't immediately obvious from looking at the picture what had happened. So. Um, I don't. I, I agree with you. I think. I think there's a certain level of decency involved and a certain level of um, class. I mean, maybe it's maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you know. Other people might might disagree. I think you know. I'm being a bit of a snowflake about this. It's just my personal view. Um, as for the stuff, and I, I'll have to ask you this off off air. But people sort of taking pot shots at Chris Weidman. That's that's insane. Lowest of the lowest. In, that's insane because, yeah. like, even even if he was a notorious trash talker 
someone who sort of, you know, was deliberately divisive and nasty and vindictive, even then, I don't think there's an excuse for that. When something like that happens, losing a fight, okay, you can mock somebody if they've mouthed off and then they get beat. If that's if that's if that's what you choose to do um, as a fan, um, but when something like that happens, come on, this is a sport. At the end of the day, you know, it's a sport. These people all have families to go home to, and this is their you know this is their living. This is you know this is their living. This is this is their livelihood. This is what puts food on the table and a roof over their heads, and uh, it's a short career. It's a short career unless you're really lucky. Uh, Weidman is probably one of the luckier ones in terms of how he, how long his career has already been in the UFC, but yeah, you, you know you don't you don't mock someone over that, and uh, you know I've 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 dealt with Weidman a few times. He's a he's a, he's a top class individual. He's a top class individual. I've got nothing but nice things to say about him from from my dealings with him, and and i'm kind of kind of dismayed to have heard that because that that kind of broadsided me a little bit i didn't i did not expect you to tell me that so um that sort of makes me a bit sad to be honest and uh but from a personal point of view i just i just hope he gets himself healthy um if he wants to carry on his career i hope that he's able to from a from a physical standpoint um it almost doesn't it's almost irrelevant talking about his form um but he really needed a win this weekend he really needed to win. Technically, that goes down as a loss on his record, even though the fight barely happened. That's six losses out of his last eight fights. And he was hoping to beat Uriah Hall and then use that to sort of kickstart him moving up towards potentially getting a shot at the middleweight belt again in a wide open middleweight division. Um, and it just went very, very wrong very, very quickly. So, um, all, all respect and good wishes go out to Chris Weidman. Um, as you say, Uriah Hall, absolute class. Absolute class in the way he dealt with it. He's going to be haunted by that himself. Let's not, let's not forget this. And just as Weidman would, was probably mentally affected by what happened from the Anderson Silva fight, at least for a period of time, Uriah, who is, you know, he's, he's, quite, a, he's quite an introverted sort of deep thinker. Um, I think that's going to, you know, there's a fair chance that's going to affect him. Um, so I hope that he's able to move past it as well and compartmentalize it uh, and move on with his career. And it's nice that he said, if he gets healthy again, I owe him this fight. Let's, let's, let's do it again. So uh, we'll see, we'll see what happens with Chris Wyman. The most important thing is that we get a full and speedy, hopefully speedy recovery. That was that fight. That wasn't the only bizarre injury that we saw on fight night. This before that fight, we had the main, we had the main card open between Anthony Smith and Jimmy Crew, a fight that I was really excited for, and uh, was shaping up to be an absolute banger. It, it started out really well. Anthony Smith was just lighting up Jimmy Crew with his jab. Um, Jimmy just wasn't moving his head at all, and Smith was just popping out that jab and just couldn't miss. But Crook was was looking to load up with some big shots and loaded up and landed with a few. And um, it looked like we were going to be in for a really good three-round scrap. And then uh, Anthony Smith hit Crook with a kick. I think it hit him in the hamstring, actually, rather than the calf. But it it, we, we, it was a, a repeat of what happened 
in the Michael Chandler Brent Premise fight a few years ago, where Brent Premise hammered Michael Chandler with some low leg kicks, and it hit the um, is it the peri perineal nerve or perineal? I can't. Oh, I can't. Perineal. Oh, I don't know. The nerve down the back of the uh, down the back of the calf muscle, and uh, it caused like drop foot syndrome. I think it's called where basically you got no control over your, you know, like the ankle joint and your foot just drops and uh, you just end up rolling your ankle. Michael Chandler ended up in all sorts of trouble in that fight and, and got stopped. Jimmy Crew had some real trouble, somehow managed to land two takedowns, got to the end of the round and uh, looked like maybe things were beginning to recover a little bit, but it hadn't. And then when the doctor got up and, and, and tested him, to see if he was okay, and he rolled his ankle again, and he was like, you're not fighting with that. Number one, completely the right decision by the doc, um, and Jimmy was absolutely gutted, but he knew. And uh, that was it, TKO, TKO defeat at the end of the first round, and sort of deprived us of what I thought was going to be an absolute barnstormer of a fight. It's such a shame. That was a big opportunity for Jimmy Crew as well. If you'd have won that fight, we're talking about a new contender at 205 pounds, but instead, Anthony Smith gets the win, he earned the win. It was his technique that caused the injury. So we need to give him credit. And he moves on at 205 pounds. But uh, it's always weird when you see the fight ended by an injury like that. But um, it's a shame because it could have been an even better fight, I think. Yeah, credit to the, the referee and the doctor that kind of waved it off. I think that was definitely the right decision. And that's what they're there for. Your cornerman, the referee, and the physician's cage side are there to protect you and protect your long-term health. You know, Jimmy Crute, you know, he obviously wanted to continue. He was so upset that he couldn't continue, but that's what you expect from fighters. You know, they're going to go all out till the absolute end. And uh, who knows, maybe if had he continued, it would have caused more long-term damage. He would, maybe could have injured himself even more. You know, thank God it was stopped. It was the right call. And, yeah, Anthony Smith got to give him all the credit in the world. And that's back-to-back -back wins now for Anthony Smith. One over Devin Clark, one over Jimmy Crute. And it was literally just a, <laughs> a year ago where he was getting absolutely pummeled in Jacksonville by Glover Teixeira. Then he comes back in August and gets dominated by Alexander Rakic. And you're thinking to yourself, well, that looks like the end of Anthony Smith's run here. He'll probably just kind of petrol away with this division you know and and be fodder for up-and-coming talent and here he is now simon with back-to-back -back wins and he's got some momentum going again and he looked really good you mentioned the jab i thought the jab was fantastic and obviously it's incredible to see someone with as many fights and at his age continue to improve so all the props in the world to to anthony smith but yeah a bizarre injury and it's something that we've actually seen a lot more now we're starting to see in mixed martial arts these leg kicks lower leg kicks you know Kicks to the calf. We saw it, you know, in the Conor McGregor fight against Dustin Poirier, and and it's something that we perhaps didn't see too much of a couple of years ago. And it's this constant evolution of fighters figuring out how to cause damage to their opponent. And it's going to be interesting to see if this one sticks. If fighters are able to figure it out and protect themselves, and uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's fascinating to me. Um, but it's not nice to see someone roll their ankle in the manner of which Jimmy Crute did. And yeah, that fired by the Chris Weidman injury, it was just a really difficult start to the pay-per-view. Obviously, by the end of the night, everyone's in, I guess, mostly 
um, positive spirits, just given the outcome of, of the fights, in, in, in the three title fights and what have you. But the beginning of the card was bizarre, to say the least, Simon. Yeah, and just to correct my uh, slightly iffy vocabulary, it's the peroneal nerve. It's the peroneal nerve and uh, runs down runs down the back of the leg and uh, it can uh, it's, it's part of the sciatic nerve, he says, reading off of uh, a, a medical website. But, uh, yeah, supplies movement and sensation to the lower leg, foot, and toes. And uh, you whack that hard enough and uh, all of a sudden – you can't stand up, and uh, that's basic. That's basically what happened to uh, to to Jimmy Crute on on fight night. And uh, Anthony Smith, yeah, he's ranked number six. I don't think they've updated the UFC official rankings yet. Um, I'm look so there's going to be some changes here and there. But taking a look at that light heavyweight division, there's not too much uh, chance of any upward movement for Anthony Smith after that fight. I don't think he's got Yuri Prohaska, Tiago Santos, Tiago Santos, Dominic Reyes. Alexander Rakic, Glover Teixeira, and of course the champion Jan Blahovic ahead of him. So um, it's going to be—it's uh, it's just a case of sit, sit tight, and see who the UFC give you, and hope that it's someone in the top five, and see if you can make another run at two hundred five pounds. Sandu, there were thirteen fights on this fight card, but we nearly saw a fourteenth fight, and it wasn't in the octagon because a certain Daniel Cormier Esquire. Saw a, a, a familiar face in the crowd at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena and went over for a little chat. Uh, Mr. Jake Paul was in attendance and uh, the crowd found out quite early and spent a lot of the evening serenading him with uh, with a, a chant or two. And uh, DC went over there and uh, had some words with him and a couple of security people had to make sure that everything stayed, stayed above board and things didn't boil over. But... What was going on there? I mean, Daniel Cormier, what's he doing getting involved with Jake Paul? I mean, what's the point? You know, DC's done everything he needs, to, you know, there ever is to do. He's competed in the Olympics. He's uh, team captain, Team USA, two-division UFC champion, absolute nailed-on Hall of Famer. And now he's beefing with a YouTuber who's had, like, three professional boxing matches. Um. I, I, what's he doing? What's he doing? Unless he's, unless Jake Paul's going to give him a cut for his next card, the cut of the pay-per-view for helping push his, uh, push his, push his image. DC gets nothing out of this. I just don't understand what he's doing. Don't know what DC is doing, Simon, but I'll tell you what Jake Paul's doing. And that's winning on a oh, night, yeah. on a night where we saw a dominant flyweight champion. We saw, Rose Namajunas become the first fighter in women's MMA history in the UFC, reclaim a championship belt that she lost. And in the main event, we saw Kamara Usman put on arguably the greatest performance of his career. And it's going to be a, a highlight real moment that's going to be replayed again and again and again. The biggest winner coming out of UFC 261 was the problem child, Jake Paul. He was in attendance. He was... I wouldn't say he was cage side, but he had pretty good good seats. They showed him on the broadcast. You had that moment with DC, which went viral with you know fans, you know, videos on on Instagram and what have you. The chatter on Sunday on social media was all about Jake Paul. It was incredible, and it's because he is living rent free in everyone's head. Simon, 
he is just he is he like we spoke about this a few weeks ago he, and i'm gonna say it again he is one of the biggest draws in combat sports you may not like to hear that right now and he's going to continue to be until he loses and it's why he's being very careful and selective with what he does both out of the ring and in the ring in terms of choosing opponents and dc kind of just fell into that trap he went over to him when he had a couple of minutes uh, of, a, of a break during the broadcast and it's not going to do anything long term for dc you know he, he went on his show with ariel today saying oh yeah i'm not going to box him but i'll, I'll give him an mma fight and I'll, I'll teach him a lesson well we all know jake paul's not going to do that we all know jake paul's not going to fight any of these high level mma guys inside the octagon or inside the cage he wants to lure them out of their safety zone and get them in the ring where they're probably not going to be as strong. We saw what happened to Ben Askren just a couple of weeks ago. That all being aside, Jake Paul just jumping on a moment where you know it's going to be a big pay-per-view, fans in attendance, you've got the fans screaming F you Jake Paul throughout the night, which is exactly what he wanted. So it's like, and here we are talking about it because well, I guess we have to, this is how content creators, media outlets, we just have to, I guess, reflect what we see. And talk if we, if we see something, we say something. And at the same time, it affects SEO. You know, it moves the needle. He is triggering so many people, hardcore MMA fans, hardcore, you know, boxing fans, casual combat sports fans, and everyone is falling into the trap. For me, at this point, at this stage, Simon. I'm just laughing it all off. Like I think it's I think what he's doing is teaching a lesson as well to a lot of people in terms of how the game works, so to speak. And listen, he's even taken a shot at Dana White. Everyone saw his tweet yesterday where he's basically calling out Dana White for a number of different things, not making the John Jones, Francis, and Garnu fight happen for money, fighter pay, and, and all the rest of it. You know, he is poking the bear and he's getting a reaction, and that's exactly what he wants. And he's not going anywhere anytime soon, Simon. He really isn't. So strap in, get ready, whether you like it or you don't like it, whether you hate it, whatever the case may be. He's going to be around. And, and fortunately or unfortunately, we're going to have to continue to talk about him because he's basically entered this world of combat sports, both in boxing and MMA. And yeah, he's doing a lot of things. It's incredible. It is incredible. And, and the thing I don't get, right? DC is a massive pro wrestling fan. This is pro wrestling 101, right? It's like you're feeding you're feeding the beast by doing this. It's like the best thing to do if an attention the best way to shut down an attention seeker is to ignore them. And uh he walks straight into it. And I'm gonna give you a quote and uh see if you can guess who this is from. Those guys know they don't want to fight me, especially Jake Paul. He's only looking to fight washed up past their time fighters. Guys that don't know how to throw punches. So, of course, he's not going to try and start a scuffle with me because he knows how that ends. I will literally smack the pubes off his chin, and he knows that. So, you know, little junior, he pipes down. Who said that? Who was it? Colby Covington. Mm. Colby Covington, who, if it wasn't for Jake Paul, would have been up there for probably the most likely person to be booed out of the building um even though he's in his native florida and uh can you imagine a fight between colby covington and jake paul that would be very interesting 
That would be very interesting. The build-up to that would be absolutely epic. Um, if you can't get Conor McGregor and uh, Colby's up for a up for a boxing match, Colby's hands are on aren't, aren't that bad. Um, that would be quite interesting. Size-wise, they're pretty similar. But um, I wouldn't mind seeing that, I have to say. But um, Colby's, Colby's got other things on his mind. But um, he was in attendance. He was in attendance as well, of course. And um, But, yeah, the Jake Paul thing is very, very interesting. It's, it's just... He's he's do he's doing he's he's showing people up for how to how to promote yourself. Now there are ways of going about it. It's not to everybody's taste, but all the while he's got people biting on everything. Every time every bite, kaching kaching kaching. You know the, the price is going up, the pay per views are going up, the money's coming in. So as you say, until someone turns up and knocks him out, um, then this is this is going to carry on. But the thing is. The day that happens and everybody rejoices and he's like, yay, this is this great. Jake Paul's finished, blah, blah, blah. That'd be the biggest payday of Jake Paul's career yeah. because it will have built up to that point. And, uh, you know, he's probably already earned enough money to retire on. But by the time that happens, he gets in there with someone who is going to spark him. Then uh, at that point, that'll be an absolutely huge pay-per-view. So, um, and, you know, we spoke about the Triller thing on previous previous events they seem to be uh they seem to be putting some infrastructure in place now and it's part of it's part of the combat sports uh universe now and uh you know unapologetically we will talk about it on this show because it's relevant so um not always mma but there are a lot of crossovers like we saw on saturday night absolutely huge event sandu is it, it was everyone afterwards was saying this is the greatest ufc event of all time blah 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 I thought it was good. I thought it was really good. To me, it wasn't as good as UFC 189, the main card of UFC 189. Now, I might have some personal bias towards that because that was my first ever Vegas event covering live. And that that card was insane. And it just built and built and built uh, all the way up to the main event where Conor McGregor beat Chad Mendes to win the interim featherweight title. Um, and that was really the start of McGregor's run of, of uh, remarkable, remarkable uh, infamy in the UFC. But um, that that main card was just ridiculous. And we had the Sinead O'Connor serenading him to the cage and all the rest of it. The whole thing was huge. That was at the MGM Grand. This was nuts. We had five finishes, two injuries, three world title fights. Where does this rank? for you in terms of main cards in UFC history? It's tough for me to call it the best only because of what I personally went through working the shift after what Chris Weidman, um, ha what happened to Chris Weidman with that injury. Yeah. I'll say this much in terms of a spectacle, in terms of newsworthy things coming out, this was, this is up there. I mean, I think there was pent up built up emotions of fans being back and that definitely translated <clears throat> across the screen you could hear them you can feel the electricity on your tv uh, and because it had been so long since we felt that that was kind of an experience on its own and then you you, you get everything else you get jake paul entering the mma you know got zeitgeist by doing what he's doing you got nick diaz sitting cage side and oh my god nick diaz is coming back and you got these incredible title fights kamara usman knocks out jorge masvidal pretty much in his own backyard, so to speak. 
it was such a pro Masvidal fan, uh, you know, um, arena. They were just kind of waiting to see if he can, you know, beat Usman so they uh, they could just blow the roof off the arena. Rosnam and Yunus, motions running high, in tears, all the rest of it. So many good moments. But for me, it's going to be more about, listen, it's going to be a, a, a memorable event. I'll say that much. For, for, for better or for worse, no one's going to be forgetting UFC 261 anytime soon. No, it's one for the history books for sure. And uh, you you referenced it right at the start. It was enhanced by just some fantastic work on the uh, on on the commentary side. John Anik, outstanding. You know, he's not he's one of those commentators who people don't tune in to listen to John Anik specifically. He's not. A lot of commentators have this big personality, and they're, you know they're 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 known as as being you know the voice of whatever john is a lot more he 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 does what he needs to do but he also he sort of sits back and lets the analysts do their thing and in a three man booth that's a, you know it's taken it's 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 a complete transition from just a regular two man booth where it's a easy conversation three men it's trickier but when you got dc and uh, joe rogan there it's it's they've got the they've got the the dynamic absolutely spot on you know the the commentary was outstanding the reactions were priceless and i think i think the ufc are so blessed to have a commentator as good as as john anik and and analysts as engaging as the likes of joe rogan and daniel cormier and for that matter the likes of michael bisbing and people like that and hopefully one day again dan hardy um They've got a lot of guys who are really good at what they do. And uh, that just made a good night even better. So the question now, of course, is what next? We're back to the UFC Apex this weekend for UFC Fight Night. Reyes versus Prohaska. I mentioned them both earlier on. Uh, Reyes has fought for the light heavyweight title. He went for the vacant belt against Jan Blachowicz, came up short. Yuri Prohaska, former rising light heavyweight champion, He's looking to uh, get himself a shot at the gold. He's a big fight at 205 pounds. We've got Cub Swanson, Giga, Chikadze in the co-main event. Iron Kutalaba versus Dustin Jacoby's on the card. There's some decent fights on this card, but let's just zero in on that main event, Sandu. Big fight at 205 pounds. Yeah, look, Dominic Reyes, he needs a win so badly here, Simon. He's coming off of two back-to-back -back losses, the first two losses of his career, and they were both title fights. The first, a controversial one, losing a decision to John Jones in, in a fight that I actually scored in favor for Dominic Reyes, but there was absolutely no need for the judges in the Jan Blachowicz fight. That was back in September of last year. We got to see if Reyes has improved, if he's able to get over the, the gut-wrenching, I guess, emotions of being so close to UFC Championship gold on two occasions and just falling short and the thing is simon he has got his hands full because prohachka i think if he wins here simon this is a main event spot for him and he's riding some serious momentum he hasn't lost since 2015 and he's undefeated so far in his short ufc run which is just the one fight which is against volkan ozdemir 
But if you've been following his career, especially in Ryzen, you know this guy means business. And I think if he beats Rare Simon, I think he's next in line. I think if he wins and he beats Dominic Reyes, you sit aside, you wait to see how things play out in the Jan Blahovich Glover Teixeira fight, and you're the next man up. So for me, this is a big fight for Prohachka in terms of becoming a solidified number one contender. And for Dominic Reyes, it's, it's so important that he wins because if he loses this one, I don't, know, I don't know where he goes from there, Simon. I really don't. Two title fight losing and then a third straight loss. Tough times. So very important clash in the light heavyweight division this Saturday. Yeah, it's insane to think that he could be coming and you know out of the weekend on a three fight skid, someone of that level of talent. But that is entirely plausible. I mean, Yuri Prohaska is a killer. He's on an eleven fight win streak, ten wins by knockout in those eleven fights, nine of them inside the first round. This man does not mess about. And if you're Dominic Reyes, I think you try and drag him into deep water. But you got to swim with the shark for a little while first, right? So it's going to be it's going to be a tough one. And uh, Volkanovski is pretty durable. He goes in there. He's got heavy hands. He's pretty durable, and he, he took him out early in the second round. And that was one of his longest fights um, in that run. You know, he's he had a he had a five round decision years ago. He went three rounds with King Mo. And uh, he, he took Volkanostomir and uh, knocked him out in the first minute of the second round. So everybody else, first round knockout. Bang. See you later. So, and it's another European fighter on the rise. You know, European MMA used to be considered sort of second class compared to the States when, you know, when it comes to the UFC. Not anymore. Not anymore. You know, everyone is on a level playing field these days. And there is some insane talent coming out of uh, European MMA and from the Czech Republic, Yuri Prohaska is certainly one of them. Um, a real knockout machine. He's got a very weird striking style. And uh, if Reyes can uh, can pick him apart, that'll be a really impressive win. But if I was a betting man right now, I think I'd be leaning towards the big check. So maybe earn me a big check, Yuri Prohaska, um, on fight night. I think, Sandu, we should probably think about wrapping up. It's about an hour and 10 minutes into this podcast. I knew we were going to go past an hour. It was such a huge night on Saturday night. So much to discuss, so much to unpack. And uh, I think we've kind of got there. And uh, we look forward to unpacking Prohaska and Reyes next week on the show. But my goodness, what what a crazy event. And uh, it's so good to see fans back. And it just shows that when it comes to putting shows in front of the of big crowds and doing the big arena experience, there is, there's just nothing else like a big UFC event. It really did show just what an incredible, incredible sport mixed martial arts is and the UFC do it better than anybody else. It was, it was incredible stuff, but that I think is pretty much it, Sandu. Yep. And if you want to follow us, find us, support us. The best place to go to is the Brit pack mma.com from there you can follow us on social media both individually both myself and simon you can follow the show on social media if you listen to us on apple podcast we'd really appreciate it if you can rate and review us because if you can do that it really helps other people find us on that particular platform so for those of you that listen to us on apple take 30 seconds out drop a quick rate review drop a question a comment whatever the case may be and that would be much appreciated. Great stuff. 
big show this past weekend, Sandu, and it needed a big show to unpack it all. Um, we're both absolutely knackered out there, ladies and gentlemen. So we're going to get some sleep. Well, I am. Sandu's going to go and cover Monday Night Raw. And uh, we, will, we will try and rest ourselves up and uh, be back to chat MMA with you again next week where we unpack UFC Fight Night from the Apex, which is going to sound eerie after the events of the last weekend. From full house to an empty arena. But uh, that's, the, that's the crazy world we live in right now. Hope you enjoyed the show. Enjoy the fights. And we'll catch up with you again next week. Yeah.